They are walking alongside of, oh, you know, the Son of God, debating who's the greatest. Can you wrap your minds around the height of, oh, I don't know, lunacy that that represents? And in verse 36, Jesus basically says to his disciples, greatness belongs to those who can stop being obsessed with their greatness. Greatness belongs to those who do the things, not that the historians will be talking about for a hundred years. Greatness belongs to those who do the things that the historians don't even bother to write down. You see, to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us these three things. We've got to stop arguing about worldly greatness and understand our need for Jesus' death and resurrection. Secondly, We've got to put ourselves last in service to others. And then finally, we must receive the nobodies among us. First, church, we've got to stop arguing about worldly greatness and understand our need for Jesus' death and his resurrection. In verse 30, Jesus is still trying to get some alone time with the disciples. And every time he tries, people discover them, which is why he doesn't want people to know about their, their whereabouts. As Edwards writes, Jesus is longing for privacy. And he's longing for privacy because he desires to teach his disciples the one essential truth of his ministry. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to be killed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be scorned. But on the third day, he will rise again. For the second time since chapter 8, Jesus explains the mystery of the kingdom. What's the mystery of the kingdom? It is that the king of the everlasting kingdom first has to die. He's got to suffer and die and be raised. And for the second time, the disciples still do not understand. Verse 32. They remain ignorant. The meaning escapes them. And they are fearful. We can understand why they're fearful, right? I mean, if the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7 tells us about the Son of Man who will receive the worship of all the nations, who will share the authority with the Ancient of Days, if that man, if the one who has that authority has to die, then what does that mean of those who follow him? As Edwards writes, Jesus speaks of surrendering his life but the disciples are speaking of fulfilling theirs. Jesus counts the cost of discipleship, but the disciples are counting its assets. The disciples have yet to learn that the rewards of discipleship come only as a consequence of following Christ on the costly way to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be killed at the hands of men. Do you see that? In the first prediction of Jesus' death, it references the Jewish leaders, the, the rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees. But now, Jesus says that all mankind, all of humanity, will be implicated in the death of Jesus Christ. Did you know we're guilty of the death of Christ? Because our sin put him there. No, we weren't physically there, nailing the nails, the spikes into his hands, but every person that exists is guilty of the death of Christ because it is our sin that put him there. And you, you see how he gets to the cross? He is delivered to them. 
You say, well, what is, what's the significance of that? Well, it's in the passive voice. In other words, the person who's doing the acting is implied. We've got to figure out, well, who delivered Jesus into the hands of sinful men to be killed on their behalf? Well, it was God the Father. God the Father is the divine actor. He is allowing his son, even delivering his son over to the hands of sinful men so that sinful men have a way to be rescued. As Aiken writes, God purposefully killed his son in order that he might not kill us. That's possible for those of you this morning who've not professed saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible to know everlasting life in eternity with God the Father because the Son came and died. He paid the price for your sin. And look what happens. As Jesus obeyed the Father and is delivered in the hands of sinful men so that we can be saved from our sin, he also delivers us, church, from the enslaving pursuit of a greatness that still dies when we die. It doesn't matter how great you are in this lifetime, your greatness still dies with you. And it's the sacrificial obedience of Christ to his Father for the eternal benefit of others that is the mark of true greatness. You want to know what greatness looks like? It looks like Jesus not losing his mind on the way to Calvary's cross to be mocked and beaten and crucified while the people who have been following him for the last few years are debating who the greatest is. That would have driven me crazy. Do your kids ever drive you nuts? having conversations that make no sense in the context. It happens in the back of my van all the time. We're driving. You know what they need in minivans, by the way? You know, like uh, when you've got a, uh, a limousine, there's a little soundproof wall right there. I, Ford or somebody, they'd make a whole lot of money if they put a button on the minivan when your kids start talking about nonsense that's out of context and doesn't make any sense, if I could hit a button and the wall would just go up, ah, hermetically sealed, hey babe, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm talking to my wife. We're having a conversation that makes sense. But Jesus is with his disciples on the way to the cross. They are with the great one, the eternal only begotten son of the universe who made everything, walking to the cross to die for them. And they're like, hey, who do you think is the greatest? Greatness is Jesus not losing his mind in that moment. You see, church, the implication is clear. We cannot understand why Jesus came and how it should impact our lives as long as we are oriented toward ourselves. Why can't the disciples hear? Because they're still looking at themselves rather than looking to how amazing Jesus is. We can't comprehend or delight in the cross until we see the futility of living a life that is defined by the pursuit of a greatness that dies when we die. Nothing less than the saving power of God can free you from your addiction to yourself. As Aiken writes, before Christ redeems us, we are like crack addicts, addicted to ourselves. We're not as interested in serving as in being served. We're not as interested in giving as in receiving. We're not as interested in pursuing God's way as in getting our way. We are in, not as interested in being the least as in being the greatest. So... Jesus gets his disciples' attention, as he often does, with a question. Verse 33, what does he ask his disciples? Hey, what were you guys talking about? Not to beat up on my kids too much this morning, but have you ever told your kids not to do something, and then you get the sneaking suspicion that's exactly what they're doing? 
And so you just get up from your easy chair or wherever you're watching the race or the game or whatever and you walk down, back down the hallway and you crack the door and you poke your head in and you know full well exactly what you told them not to do is what they were doing. And what do you say? Hey, what you doing? <laughs> and the only answer the disciples could give is the same answer that my kids give. Silence. As Edwards writes, the silence of the disciples is a wordless confession. We weren't looking at your greatness, Jesus. We were talking about our greatness. And let me ask you a question, church. If Mark is urging us to follow in the way of discipleship, to be those who deny ourselves, take up our cross and die daily for the sake of our King and to put the glory of Christ on display. If that's what we're supposed to be doing, but Jesus himself through the presence of his Holy Spirit entered this room today and said, what about your life? What were you discussing on the way? What about the last day? What about the last week? What about the last month? What about the last year? What has the music in your mind been filled with? Has it been filled with the greatness of Christ or the greatness of your opinion? Has it been filled with the greatness of Christ or the greatness of your contribution? Has it been filled with the greatness of Christ or the greatness that you have that everybody's overlooking? Has it been filled with the glorious wonder and magnificence of a God who went to Calvary to die for you and redeem you from your lost state? Or has it been subtly about, well, maybe I'm the greatest? You see, to be great in the kingdom of God, we've got to walk in the way of Christ, which is in obedience to Christ on the way to Calvary. As Achan says, obedience to the will of God marks the road to true greatness. Constantly, consistently, faithfully denying self, taking up cross, and following after him. But what does that mean practically? I mean, okay, pastor, I, I hear you, but, but I don't hear you. How, how do I do that? Well, thanks for asking, because Jesus clarifies it in verse 35. If we're going to do that, we've got to put ourselves last in service to all others. You've got to put yourself last in service to all others. You see, in spite of what Jesus has taught them about self-denial, dying to self in verse 34 of chapter 8, losing their lives for Christ in the gospel in verse 35 of chapter 8, the disciples are still aspiring to be sovereigns and not servants. They want to be kings and not servants. As long as that is their attitude, church, it's going to hinder their ability to truly follow Jesus. You see, the joy of following Jesus comes when we are unhindered by the world's prioritization of greatness. So Jesus sits down. Don't you love what Jesus does when he's, he's got a teachable moment? He sits right down there with the disciples. He calls them in like a team huddle, like a coach gathering the team. And he offers them a clarifying statement. I, I love sentences that get down to the core of teaching us what God wants out of our life. And Jesus says this, if anybody wants to be first, he's going to be last of all and servant of all. Notice, Jesus does not rebuke the disciples for talking about greatness. He doesn't rebuke them for desiring greatness. Instead, Jesus redefines greatness and the way it is, it is obtained. 
Jesus says if anyone wants to be first or to be foremost, he's got to be the last or the lowest. Edward says this, at no point, at no point does the way of Jesus diverge more sharply from the way of the world than on the question of greatness. How do you determine greatness in your life? Here's a little pride test for you this morning. Am I upset if I am not praised for my work? Do I like and even long to be seated at the head table and in the seat of honor? Do I seek credit for what others have done? Do titles pump me up? You know, some people can't wait to get the degree because of the title it represents. They want to put it on the front of their name. They'll put it on the door, on the business card to get CPA. I can't wait to put it in my email line. Are, are you defined by all the world's accolades or are you defined by your identity as a sinner saved by grace? Is popularity crucial to my sense of self-worth? Am I a name dropper of those that I know or pretend to know? Do I think I have something valuable to say or to offer about almost everything? Then you might be tracking on the wrong form of greatness. You see, if anyone aspires to Greatness as Jesus defines greatness, he's got to be last of all and servant of all. You know what the word for servant there is? It's deacon. It's diakonos. You say, well, I'm not on the deacon board. I, I don't sit around the table and make sure the pastor's doing his job. I'm, I'm not a deacon. Well, if you're not a deacon, you're not a Christian. Did you know every person, every blood-bought believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says you got to be last of all and diakonos, deacon of all. Now that's not referring to the official title in, in the church, but nobody gets an exemption from being a servant. If you've been served by the living Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus says you're going to be a servant of all. And the word means somebody who waits tables, somebody who washes feet, somebody who chains changes soiled undergarments you say well that's pretty that's pretty low yeah that's what Jesus is saying you see in our flesh without the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out this sentence by Jesus makes no sense what do you mean the first are gonna be the the first or last and the last or first that doesn't make any sense just watch a NASCAR race the guy who crosses and gets the checkered flag is first first is first and last is last no Jesus comes and he turns the world upside down he says the first position belongs to the one in last place, the one who's there serving in the most humble of ways. And you want to know something? I don't like that sentence. In my flesh, I don't like that sentence. I was at Hershey Park this week. Have any of y'all been to Hershey Park? I'd never been to Hershey Park, but it was the, the heat index in Hershey Park was 104 degrees. It was hotter in Hershey, Pennsylvania than Roanoke, Virginia. When does that ever happen? Than when the pastor gets away on vacation. And, and I got to tell you something, when you're meditating on this text and this sentence and Jesus says the last will be first and you finally get into a restaurant with a little bit of air conditioning and your kids go on and on discussing not necessarily who's the greatest, but who's going to get to ride the greatest number of their favorite rides or who gets to pick the next restaurant that you go to and you just want two seconds of peace and quiet in the restaurant that you're currently in with the air conditioner, the sweet air conditioning of God radiating down on your body. The last thing that comes to your mind in that moment is that the last will be first. But then you're working on this sermon. And you're getting ready to respond to your children 
out of the flesh and out of anger and out of frustration and say, why can't you just be happy with all the things you've already done? (laughs) And the spirit of God, like a laser beam in my heart, says the last are first. Serve your kids. Show them Christ. Show them the gospel. Nurture them and point them in a proper way. Don't revile. Don't get angry. Be last in this situation. I got to be honest with you, church. I was thinking a little more like Plato than like Jesus in that moment. Because Plato said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? Oh, I know you super spiritual people never think like that. But here's Jesus sitting down with his disciples, and do you see what Jesus does? He turns the world upside down. He turns the value systems of the world upside down. Jesus says that greatness in God's economy is not reserved for the gifted or the privileged. Every believer can be great in the kingdom of God through the common and simple tasks of serving others. The call to follow Christ is a call to greatness. It's just a greatness of an entirely different form than the world worships. The more common the task, the more menial the task, the more humble the task, the more the task lends itself to kingdom greatness. In the kingdom, greatness is not found at the top, but at the bottom. It's not found by getting, but by giving. It's not found by going first, but by going last. It's not found by getting a crown of coronation, but by enduring the cross of crucifixion. Church, it's the world that says, I've worked hard for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and now it's time for me to get what I deserve. I've I've heard Christians say this. I worked hard for that company for 20, 30, 40 years, and now it's me time. There is no time in the Christian life that is me time. Now you say, can I take a vacation and rest? Yes, you can. Yes, you can get away. But even that is for the purpose of restoration in the gospel that you might be a better servant of Christ. And we cannot devolve into the world's way of thinking and say, well, because I paid my dues, because I invested in my kids, my church, my family, my career, now it's time for me to shine. Greatness does not come through what we earn or what we deserve, but by how we serve and the one that we are serving. Some of you are retired here this morning. That is prime time to serve the living Lord Jesus Christ. It's prime time. You don't have to punch the clock at eight and punch out five. You've got more time than you've ever had in your life to give to the cause of Christ. And what the devil wants in your mind is, well, it's all about me now. No, it's not. Senior discounts are for mission trips. I mean, all all the opportunity. If God has given you life and health and breath and financial wherewithal, why wouldn't you want to be on the front lines beside of our teenagers and our students and our young adults serving in Jesus' name? It's not time to pass the baton and say, y'all do it and I'll just come and punch the clock on Sunday morning. It's time to get fully vested in the kingdom of God as a servant because the last shall be first. Y'all are here this morning, aren't you? Y'all going to come back? (laughs) Hold me to it. If the Lord gives me life and breath and allows me to be your pastor for as long as I hope he will, hold me to it. I want to finish well. 
I want my last breath to be given for the sake of the gospel. I want my last dime to be given for the sake of the advance of the gospel. I don't want to just preach these things. I want to live these things. And I hope you'll be here to hold me to it. That we would spend our lives for the glory of Christ our King. We can't agree with what Jesus says in verse 35 unless we know the joy that comes from being served by Jesus ourselves. You see, there really is only one person in all of human history who has been last of all, who's been at the end of the line for every single human being, and he's the one who came down and he put himself at the end of the line. Colossians chapter 1 says this, He's before all things, in Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. How is that possible? Because the living Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross so that He Himself would come to have first place in everything. You see, when you see what God did to rescue you from death and from the pursuit of greatness that dies when you die, you become alive to a whole new way of seeing the world and a whole new way of pursuing greatness. Did you know Jesus did not come to kill your ambition? He came to rescue your ambition. He came to give you the right direction for your ambition. You come to have a desire for Christ to have play, first place in everything. You come to have a desire to give your life to that goal. The Christ who's served you at the cross gives you his desire to serve others knowing that the posture of a servant is a visible manifestation of the reality of God's love. You say, I want my neighbors to know the love of God. I want my friends to know the love of God. I want people to trust in a savior who served them. Then guess what? God is calling you to serve them that they might see the sacrificial love of Christ on their behalf through what you do. Okay, Daniel, I'm getting a little closer. I I understand that to be great in the kingdom of God, I've got to stop thinking about my own greatness and focus on the greatness of Jesus. I understand that I've got to be last and not first, and I've got to serve everybody. But what in the world does that really mean? How do I serve everybody? Well, we serve in our context the nobodies who are among us. You see, Jesus doesn't leave us without an example. He doesn't just stay in the abstract. He doesn't just say you got to be last of all and servant of all and leave it at that. He gives us a living example. And in verse 36, Jesus takes a child and he stands him before the disciples and he gives them a big hug as an example of what it means to be the servant of all. Now you might be thinking this morning, how is embracing a sweet little child an example of serving a nobody? I mean, I love to hug my kids and my grandkids. It's awesome. Well, first of all, Jesus is not calling us, church, just to embrace our children, but the forgotten children of the world. The children whose moms and dads are going through a divorce, the children who are being raised by a single mom who's working three jobs or a single dad who's working three jobs, the children who aren't even here yet, the children who aren't even born yet. He's calling us to embrace all the children. You see, I know your granddaughter's dirty diaper smells like roses. But the dirty diapers of all the other babies, they're stinky. And God is calling us to serve all kinds of children. Secondly, children in ancient cultures back in Bible times were put to work almost right away from a very early age. 
As Edwards reminds us, societies with high infant mortality rates and a great demand for human labor could not afford to be sentimental about infants and youth. And so while we might look at a sweet little child and say that's the way the disciples would have seen it, the the disciples would have seen somebody who's low in society, somebody that should be out in the fields working. But Jesus takes this child up into his arms and he's giving us a picture of the sort of service that leads to kingdom greatness. Jesus leaves heaven to embrace our humanity and to redeem it through the cross. We've got to get down on the level of those that we serve and embrace them just like Jesus came down to our level to embrace us. To follow Jesus, church, we've got to serve those who could never pay us back for our service. What what is that child going to give to Jesus? Nothing. Which means as a church, if we're going to be Jesus in the world, we've got to be willing to spend money and time and effort on people and in places that could never pay us back. We are not a corporation. We are not making widgets trying to make a profit. We are coming to die to ourselves, to die to our interests, to die to our preferences in order that God might reach people who have not yet been reached. This happens, by the way, when families adopt children. It happens when families foster children. It happens when we visit and pray for the sick. It happens when unwed mothers make the right decision to keep their babies because there's a church standing alongside of them saying, we will help you, we will invest in you, we will pour our lives into you. It happens when we serve at Windshape and in VBS and at Fusion Camp and in all the children's and student ministries week after week after week. Here's what Jesus is saying to us, church. The people that you think should be serving you, which is exactly what the disciples would have thought of children, The people that you think should be serving you are the people God is calling you to serve. The fast food worker that you're going to see at Bojangles right after church. You're like, if you'd hurry up, I'd already be there. The waiters, the waitresses, children that don't belong to you, the aged Immigrants, the poor, the sick, the tired, the hungry. And get this one. You're not going to like it. I didn't like it when Jesus showed it to me. Even the people who should know better. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? You've even said it, haven't you? I've said, what is wrong with them? They should know better. You want to know the people who should know better? Slow mall walkers. When you, when you go to the mall, you go to the mall to buy something, right? You don't go just to... So, yesterday, I'm at Town Square, which is not the indoor mall. It's, the, it's, it's outside, and I went to Great Clips to get my hair cut. I needed a haircut. And, and I did everything the way you're supposed to do it. I did the online check-in, which means I walked in, and there's like 10 people there, and my name's at the top of the list. Are you online check-in? Yes, I am. Walk right in, bzz, 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 go out, get in my car. I've got some stuff to do because I've been on vacation this week, still got a sermon, and I'm still tweaking it a little bit, meditating on it, and I have got to go. So I drive over the little speed bumps. You know what I'm talking about? Right there, that main lane. It's a road. You're supposed to pay attention to what you're doing. And a lady comes out of Michael's, with her two kids, they're, they're big enough to know better, should have known better, and they, they stop right in the middle of the road and have a conversation. 
Like my car's not there and I'm not going anywhere. And I, I wish I could tell you because of, I'm so super spiritual and holy and I was working on this sermon that I was like, how can I serve these people? <laughs> that didn't hit me till after I got past them. So then I'm driving back trying to see if I can find them and I can't to figure out, well, what do I need to do? How, I need to go pray for those people. Well, I was a little slow in my receptivity to the Holy Spirit on that one. And instead, I, my first thought was, you people should know better. And you know what? The world is full of people who should know better, including us. Because we're on the way to Calvary with our King and so often we get distracted by our own greatness and our own opinion and our own perspective and we get our eyes off of Jesus. And Jesus is calling us, church, not just to serve people at a distance, but to take up people into our arms like Jesus took that little child up into his arms in the hopes that they might come to know the greatness of being served by Jesus. Jesus wants North Roanoke Baptist Church to be an extension of his saving arms when we give and when we pray and when we serve with hearts that overflow with gratitude for the joy of knowing that we are counted among those who have already been served by Christ and it's, he has served us in a way we could never, ever, ever pay him back. We can never serve, we can never outserve what Jesus has already given to us and look at the promise of verse 37. Whoever, that's anybody in this room, Whoever receives a child in Jesus' name also gets Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you don't just get Jesus, you get the Father as well. Edward says this, The humblest act of kindness sets off a chain reaction that shakes heaven itself. For whatever is done to the least and to the little is done to Jesus. And whatever is done to Jesus is done to God. You can receive and know the presence of God through humble acts of service. But here's the key, church. You will never want to take the low place and see greatness as Jesus defines it until you first receive the saving service of Christ in your own life. You can't know how great it is to serve others and how great it is to be last of all and servant of all until Jesus has first served you. He's on his way to Calvary's cross to pay the price for your sin and to erase the debt of your sin and give you life everlasting through his blood. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must first receive the sacrificial service of Jesus and then trust the Holy Spirit to send you out and to learn to live for Christ the King and to become the servant of all. So this morning, or now afternoon, I want to ask you, how's it going, true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What have you been discussing on the way? Have you been discussing the greatness of Christ our King? Have you been looking at the one who would soon receive the spikes in his right hand and then his left and then at his feet and he would say father forgive them they know not what they do and have you allowed the holy spirit of god to give you the sort of fortitude that christ had to have on the way to calvary to serve others in the way that christ served you as we have our instrumentalists come i want to challenge you this morning as we sing about giving our lives for Christ the King, to evaluate your own life. Am I living for retirement? 
Am I living for comfort? Am I living for the accolades of the world? Or is God building into my life a heart that says, God, whatever you can take from me, whatever I can give to you, use it that the name and the fame of Christ might redound and be known in all the earth. Let it be my life's refrain to live as Christ and to die as gain. So do a self-assessment this morning. And then if you need to trust Christ or you want to be a part of a church that's just crazy enough to say we want to die so that others can know that Christ lives and that he can live with them and in them and they can live forever with him we'd invite you to come and join North Roanoke Baptist Church as we stand and sing together